This is the Indesa Members Memo, a podcast of the National Drug and Alcohol Screening Association. Indesa is 100% member-owned and is your industry voice. This episode of the Indesa Members Memo is sponsored by Orisure Technologies. Orisure offers testing products for drugs of abuse and alcohol. The Intercept Oral Fluid Drug Test is the first and only FDA-cleared oral fluid laboratory-based drug test for the nine most requested drugs of abuse. Intercept is simple to use with an easy collection procedure and a collection time of only five minutes. While being the number one recognized brand in laboratory-based oral fluid testing since 2000, the specimen is collected on-site but is then sent to a lab for testing. Companies get the convenience and immediacy of oral fluid testing, but also solid and defensible lab results. You don't sacrifice the accuracy of reliability of your current testing program. You simply eliminate the need to collect urine. Indesa is proud to have Orisher as our first official sponsor of the Indesa Members Memo podcast. Thank you, Orisher. Check out their website at www.orisher.com. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Indesa Members Memo. My name is Joe McGuire and I am the Executive Director for Indesa and I'm happy to have all of you listeners joining us today as we do another member interview. I know these are very popular with you, our listeners, and you really enjoy them. And today we get the privilege of having Mickey Moore and Angela Garrison of Tomo Drug Testing. And Mickey is the CEO of Tomo and Angela is the President And uh, they have been incredibly engaged with our association from the beginning. And um, Mickey and some of his staff serve as state affiliates in our association. Uh, Caleb Stoll serves on our training and education committee and has been extremely instrumental in creating our um, whole education and training program. Caleb is an amazing editor and contributor when it comes to that. Um, But Mickey, I uh, know that you presented at our conference last year and just a variety of things that you guys have engaged in and been involved in. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's nice to have you. So why don't you guys take a minute and introduce yourselves to the listeners before we kind of launch into our conversation. Sure. Um, I'm, uh, I've been here at Tomo since 2007. Um, prior to that, spent 10 years in healthcare. Um, not on the medical side, but more on the administrative and business side of healthcare, mm-hmm. but had the opportunity to get involved in business ownership in 2007 and have been with the company ever since. Um, our company has been through quite a bit of evolution uh, during that time. When we purchased the company, it had about 15 employees and we service primarily the state of Missouri through five offices and 80% of our work at that time was performed on site at client locations. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have largely had a focus of mobile and on site collections um, since I've been involved in the company. As with most companies, I guess in drug testing, or at least as I've learned, our business probably is similar to many in that it was created actually in 1991. Um, wow. Out of the uh, need for DOT, TPA, mm-hmm. uh, collections, et cetera, and um, served 
mainly in Springfield, Missouri, where our corporate office is still located. But okay. um, since that time, um, grew and uh, we've had actually I'm the third owner of the company but okay. um, yeah and it's been fun we've focused primarily on DOT and drug-free workplace collections for about 25 years of the company's existence mm -hmm. but just recently also transitioned into court and community testing programs okay wow that's that's fantastic Angela tell us a little bit about yourself Sure. Um, I joined Tomo in 2017. Um, like Mickey, I also have a healthcare background, um, primarily on the marketing communication side. Um, I've worked both in the public and private sector, um, doing some consulting work, um, and then found my way here to Tomo in 2017. Um, you know, the industry, it's, I, I think I came in at a very exciting time. Um, mm -hmm. There's been a lot of change in yes. three, three and a half years since That's I right. have uh, been here. And so um, it's been a good time uh, just to be able to help Tomo adapt, whether it be, you know, we're changing the DOT panels or, um, you know, our state here in Missouri became a medical marijuana state. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and a lot of our clients are dealing with that. And, um, and so just a lot of interesting changes. And then, you know, the, the year that was 2020 brought all kinds of fun for everyone. Right. So, um, it's been an exciting time uh, for us here. Absolutely. As, as you mentioned, so much change and more to come. I mean, we are in kind of this um, season where we're waiting and anticipating oral fluid drug testing. Uh, we're still kind of not sure what's going to happen with hair testing. That's sort of all over the map, but, you know, we hope we would get that approved and, and have that option as well. But um, yes, COVID practices changed things. Uh, we don't know if there will be any permanent long lasting changes from that, but we're looking to ODAPSI to see if that's the case. And then as you mentioned, yes, um, <laughs> states changing their marijuana laws really has an impact. And you know, with a new administration coming in, um, to the presidency, we really anticipate some type of federal legalization within the first, um, at least the first quarter, I would suspect. So it really is uh, a season of, of change and all of us adapting and trying to figure out, you know, how, how to um, approach our clients and our customers in these times. So what do you guys think is the most um, significant uh, impact um, on your customers? Because I usually ask folks, um, how do you, how, what would you say is impacting collection site personnel? And I may, I may get to that as well, but you, because you have um, direct customer. I mean, you have customers all over the country, but you have what five, uh, like basically you're covering five states in your hard brick and mortar locations right now, right? Um, uh, correct. Yeah, our, our company um, currently has staff in Indiana, in Missouri, Oklahoma, and Las Vegas. Um, we do service clients that are in every state. Um, mm -hmm. So in some ways we serve as a, a TPA, in other ways a full service um, company that, that services all of uh, a client's drug and alcohol testing needs. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I think to answer your question about customers and what they're going through currently, 
Um, I, I can answer that, I guess, in one of two ways, one uh, pre-COVID and one post-COVID. Isn't that true? Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how much of a, an influence that's had in, yeah. in our projections and how we, um, what we anticipate coming. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, previously we, we might have answered last year to the increase in randomization for right. FMCSA and, and that all of those providers in our industry would have looked forward to an increase in volume of testing due to that 50%. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, that didn't play out as we all might have anticipated with COVID. Right. Um, we, we actually uh, have fared pretty well through it, but our clients... It was interesting, the mix, um, and, and very fortunate to um, our product mix. Um, we, as I mentioned, have served a lot of DOT and drug-free workplace school mm -hmm. clients, um, but it, it's actually that transition into court and community-based testing that uh, really proved to be helpful through the last 12 months as we've gone through the, the period of COVID and, and the pandemic. Um, Got in fact, you. a lot of our clients who really paused uh, testing for a period of time or mm -hmm. um, just postponed, it made the end of the year quite busy for us. December was right. busier than it had been in previous years as a result of some of that. But that court and community testing, although quite different from DOT and drug-free workplace in the, the way the programs are structured, mm -hmm. um, in the type of testing that's performed, and the type of clients that are served, um, it, it really did help us um, as a diversification, I suppose, into mm -hmm. that area of our business. Um, yep. Angela, would you add anything else? I think from a client perspective, one of the things we hear and we have heard, um, even through COVID, but it was um, amazing, it kind of, I don't say was forgotten, but it was much overshadowed, is the issue of, of marijuana legalization. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of our clients are struggling, um, especially, you know, pre-COVID, we had the war for talent, and it was really hard with unemployment solo, again, pre-COVID, mm -hmm. to find um, people to fill your open positions. And, um, you know, we have a lot of clients who, who want to keep up with others in their industry, you know, when we're talking on the drug-free workplace side. So they want to start dropping their marijuana panels because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a major employer in their industry has dropped the marijuana panel. And so it becomes difficult to find um, talent or find folks that can fill those positions. And as the states are all in different places, especially here in Missouri, you know, mm -hmm. um, it, the, the news kind of died down over the year right. because we were all talking about COVID. So now that we're all getting our um, feet back underneath us, everyone's starting to think about, okay, where are we at? What's happening? Um, what can I do? Um, and so there's just a lot of confusion, sure. I think, um, out there, especially for an employer Mm -hmm. um, is just trying to keep their positions filled. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, I was recently approached by um, the Association of General Contractors based in uh, the state of Montana because they changed their laws drastically in this election cycle. And uh, it's it's been comforting to hear now. I mean, we are talking about this is very locality-based um, state of Montana saying we will hold firm to our policies. This is about safety first. But in Missouri, especially, you know, it just depends on where you're at. But um, in your states of, you know, Indiana, Missouri, 
when you're dealing with Las Vegas, you have a whole different thing because it's been legal there for a while. Um, but those, any area that's um, near the Chicago area or, you know, the kind of the I-70, I-80 corridors or whatever, you will see more employers um, who are saying, you know, well, 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 we think we should let that go and uh, have a tendency to forget that it's about safety first and not the drug. So that is a constant communication and education. Um, I, I totally understand that. That can be time consuming on resources. And, and whatnot. Um, hopefully, we've got some resources we can offer you there. So, you know, let me know if we can help you. But um, on the coordinate side, I want to go back to that a minute. Well, wait, actually, I'm going to interrupt myself. Um, did you guys get into COVID testing during this whole um, pandemic? Uh, no, we didn't. We evaluated it uh, very early on, and um, it was just a strategic decision on our part. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we talked during town halls uh, some mm -hmm. in the past six, nine months, which by the way, we really appreciate all that you're doing in, in, for our industry on that. Um, Thank you. A way for us to stay in touch with trends and what others are seeing and hearing and doing. Mm -hmm. um, for us, we, it, it's worth noting that we only do drug and alcohol testing. Um, we're not gotcha. a medical provider. We don't have medical staff. Um, mm -hmm. We, we do occasionally get uh, those who may have a medical background, med techs or um, et cetera, but, um, but we do not uh, currently have any medical staff uh, that provide those types of services. So it would have been a, an operational shift for us uh, mm -hmm. to offer that. Um, certainly <laughs> when uh, the, the pandemic first hit and in our state was shut down for a good couple of months, um, mm -hmm. March and April, especially. Um, it, it, it was a tease. It was something yeah. that um, I think was evaluating because at that time it's survival mode. It's evaluating mm -hmm. what do we have to do to uh, continue to employ the people we, we worked so hard to get. Um, mm -hmm. and, and you just have a pride and uh, and the team that you've developed and the things that you're doing and to see that be put at risk um, really was challenging. Uh, mm -hmm. We were one of those companies that took advantage of the PPP funding and, mm -hmm. um, and it worked as designed for us. Uh, we really were able to use it to retain most of our staff. In fact, a hundred percent of our staff through Great. that. And um and I was just very thankful for that. And, and because of that, we were able to stay the course on just continuing to focus on drug and alcohol testing only. Um, mm -hmm. So no, at this time, um, we have not been providing any of the testing, certainly staying in touch with it, mm -hmm. um, meant that something would change, but uh, as of right now, we're not. Yeah, because I, I know that I referred some people to you to kind of educate them, uh, you know, other people in our industry, uh, because you knew so much about it. And as someone who's um, doing administrative work to manage the association, while I have a background in drug and alcohol testing, of course, and I'm a trainer and all of that, um, I just couldn't take on the bandwidth to learn all about that, you know, not being boots on the ground in that aspect right now. So I do appreciate that I could resource people to you, but um, yeah, some did and some didn't. So, so on the coordinate side, um, I want to, so I'll circle back to your why on that in just a second, but 
on the Corden side, do you find that in that whole um, realm of testing that you do, and you can explain this because um, I think you know where I'm going, do you find that, that people ordering those type of tests, are they really clearly educated and aware of the, the importance of lab-based drug testing, um, the, the, you know, the importance of not making decisions based on rapid tests. You know, that's one of my concerns that I always have with that whole realm and hope to bring um, more of those folks into our industry, into our membership to kind of help educate and nurture some um, insight, you know, and knowledge. Uh, uh, increase their knowledge and expertise about drug testing in general. How has that been for you? Have you seen places where you've had to really um, help people understand the importance of these issues? Um, I'll give a quick answer. Angela probably has uh, more to contribute there. And when you say cordant, I, I just want to be, make sure um, court testing, drug, uh, drug courts, probation and parole, um, community programs, family and children's services, Things mm -hmm. like that, yeah. um, although Cordant uh, as a laboratory is a player in that industry, um, mm -hmm. as is uh, labs like Redwood and um, U.S. Drug Testing. Um, yes, true. Thank you for clarifying that because you're right. I, I understand it because I, I've had, you know, some dealings with that in, in my background. But thank you for clarifying that for our listeners in case they don't know what we're talking about. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure when you're using that laboratory's reference, I, I just wanted to be sure. But um, yeah. so, so, I'm, so I am talking about the participants engaging, not the lab itself. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and in those courts, uh, what I would say high level is, um, in fact, we, we visited with uh, a group last week about this and um, DOT black and white, right and wrong, federally mm -hmm. regulated, mandated, policy driven. Um, it's, it's all laid out. Uh, mm -hmm. Drug-free workplace, you get a little more flexibility. You can customize, you can consult, you can help uh, clients navigate how to write a policy or um, you know, make sure and keep all things I's dotted, T's crossed with state regulations and other things really start coming into play in those programs. Um, when we got into the drug courts, probation and parole, um, division of family, children's services, I, I call it wild west. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it, it is. It, it, yeah. it really is eye opening, honestly. Mm -hmm. and, and there's a few reasons why, but, um, a lot of programs are managed very locally. There's, there's some thought leaders in that area. Mm -hmm. But um, by and large, there's very little standardization or consistency um, or even best practices between each program. So um, what, what I find of interest in that is um, there is a lot of education and an opportunity for us um, in that um, our experience in DOT drug-free workplace really can contribute to designing a program for those core programs. Mm -hmm. Now, that, that said, I, I would um, suggest that, um, you know, there is a lot of testing that's, um, oh, it, it, it really got to the heart of mm -hmm. what we do all of this in the first place. For you work. bet, 100%.
and and that was probably because originally I didn't think it would be a good thing for us to get into. It was just a different population mm -hmm. being served, and um, and we were specialists on DOT and drug-free workplace employment testing. Mm -hmm. And um, and what was eye-opening to me is uh, how specific it was on helping individuals and using drug and alcohol testing as a means or a way or a part of a program that ultimately intends to prevent substance abuse, um, care about individuals, mm -hmm. and, and ultimately the communities that they live in. Um, and so it really brought it full circle for us um, about why we're so passionate about what we do. Um, Angela, you could probably speak specifically to the programs themselves though. Sure, I think we've seen, um, like with most, there, there's a, um, a belief that there's one way to do collections when it comes to court and community tests, testing. Um, you know, there are those that only believe, you know, a lab-based urine screen um, with this panel testing for these drugs at, this, at these cutoff levels is the only way right. um, to do it. Mm -hmm. And um, thinking that way, what we found is that, you know, that becomes budgetary restraints for a lot mm -hmm. of places. And so they're unable to put into place a, a program, whether that's a program where they can bring in an outside collector. Um, mm -hmm. Because truly what we believe is, is that these collections, you know, the, the heart of them is at the collection. If you have a bad collection, it doesn't matter how good the lab is. It doesn't matter your cutoff levels. It's junk. And right. so you have to start with a solid collection and, um, you know, and getting some of these programs to look at things that maybe they wouldn't ever have before. So you could look at an oral fluid screening where mm -hmm. then you only have to have one collector um, because they're all automatically observed rather than bringing in two for your urine based. Um, so they're gender specific. Um, mm -hmm. And so just getting them to think about things in that way, whether that is um, potentially um, educating them on the value of an instant screen, you right. know, and, and how that can play um, still utilizing a lab, um, but their outcomes can be still the same. Sure. And so I think it's kind of um, helping, helping clients understand the options that they have out there, but really getting to the core that, like with any drug screen, it all starts with the collection. Mm -hmm. It's so true. Um, you know, I, I get concerned with those programs, as you can tell by my question, but also you have to have trusted, reliable collections professionals because we've heard stories of uh, collections professionals doing hair samples for court testing that took a cut a sample in the middle of the hair shaft and sent a person to jail because that's not recent use at the scalp of the hair. That's, you know, what happened months and months ago. Um, so you know, it's, I'm so grateful that you guys are there guiding, but I do, I do understand the, the whole, um, the whole structure there is you have someone who's a probation officer or parole officer or a social services, you know, trained um, professional and drug testing isn't a part of their world. It's not a part of their education, their training, their anything. They just all of a sudden know they have to do it. And usually they end up as the individuals who are ordering these things, you know. And uh, I remember one time when I was working for um, Renee Schofield up in Alaska, and we were called to sit with the Department of Human Services in uh, Juneau. And the folks there were saying, you know, well, we want to know when these kids test positive on their hair test, we want to know 
what that parent was using, when they were using it, how they were using it, how it got into the kid's system. And we want you guys to come to court and testify on all these things. It does not work. That was so we had a big, um, I mean, everybody in the room, educational morning of this is not how drug testing works. We brought in a toxicologist, you know, big, big thing. Um, and, and it really changed the way like, okay, it's limited, but it's still the most useful tool we have. It's helpful. They, they switched around how they were doing some of their testing and how they were approaching it and, and whatnot. But Mickey, I got to go back to what you said about this really drives home the why of what we do. And I'm putting words in your mouth and summarizing, but this is where you see that changing people's lives. When you see a mom get custody back of her kids that she hasn't been able to have for a year or two, or you see someone who's able to regain sobriety that they haven't had in years or, um, you know, turn their life around. It's really impactful when you see that same individual come in for a pre-employment test and get a job after having had a criminal history um, because they got things turned around and now they're in your office for a completely different reason. And I'll tell you what, those are your clients who are pretty grateful to be getting that pre-employment drug test and not giving you a hard time over it, right? Um, well, and, and, and honestly, that's um, part of it. And, and we used to share stories um, of individuals who, um, I, one I always share with some of our new staff, um, we had a technician who one time was asked uh, by a, a pre-employment, um, and do you remember me? And uh, she said, well, I'm sorry, I, I don't. And I said, well, about a year ago, you tested me and I was positive. And of course, when you hear a question like that or a statement, it's like, okay, my defenses go up. Right. I'm, I, you know, I, I'm this my person's gonna really, um, give it to me. Right. And uh, instead, he said, I just wanted to say thanks. Mm. Uh, at, uh, because of that test, it, at the time I was upset. And, um, and, but it was the wake up call I needed. And um, I, you know, I, I did, my employer put me through the employee assistance program. They invested in me. Um, and uh, here I am today to tell you that I'm, I'm going back to work. Um, my family's in a better place. And she was just floored. Um, and, and I love sharing stories like that on the employment side. Yes. In the schools that we do uh, random student drug testing with. I, I love the opportunity to prevent substance abuse in the first place, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, just we do a decent number of those kinds of programs and are very passionate about them. Um, but to, again, connect it through these court programs. Mm -hmm really is uh, special. I mean, it it, it's something that I, I didn't expect, but when you talk to these judges who had previously were very hard line about, uh, look, they knew the rules and they're going to jail or uh, getting whatever consequence was laid out. Mm -hmm. um, instead, they're putting them through these treatment programs that might be one to two years long. Um, and, and they feel like they're investing in these individuals. They're actually less expensive than putting somebody in a jail. Right. Um, and, um, they're more effective ultimately mm -hmm. in the long run of a sustainable change for those individuals. But yeah, it's you something bet. we've gotten very, very passionate about. It's neat to see the judges so passionate about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's great to be a part of those celebrations. Fortunately, we get to participate in those on a monthly basis with most of our programs where individuals where we've gotten to know through these programs, um, we're partners with them. We're, we're, we're their biggest cheerleader hoping sure. that they through. 
and we get to go to their graduations. And oh, it's that's kind of a neat goosebump opportunity for us every time that yeah. we get the chance to hear that somebody in that program or a, a good number of them, whether mm -hmm. families reunited or um, whatever the case might be, um, it's just awesome to, to really see that impact that we get to make through something like drug testing, which yes. <laughs> sometimes, and, and when you said the why, um, you're probably familiar with Simon Sinek and, and mm -hmm. I, I've, I'm just a big fan of uh, his books and, and the concept of that. But mm -hmm. really, when we only talk about what we do, um, well, it's just a job at that point and probably one that not many people will keep very long when you're just collecting urine for a living. Um, right. You know, it's, it's not sexy. Right. Um, but, you know, you start getting to the how and the quality and the professionalism, treating people with dignity that's important um, mm -hmm. to differentiate ourselves as a collector maybe from others. But on the other hand, when we really get to that root of why we do it in the first place, that's what gets us up in the morning. That's what gets us excited to, to go out and do that one more test is, is just impacting another life. You bet, you bet. I okay there's so many there's like 10 directions that we can go in from everything that you just said and I'm trying to narrow my focus down to one because I already had a question in mind but um yes I love Simon and uh and you that's that's one place where um you and I and your staff uh connected a few years ago is on the whole concept of strong leadership business leadership um values and vision driven business um, operations. And uh, so I, that's one, one of the things I wanted to go back to and you kind of made a, created a nice natural segue there. So we kind of got to the passion part first, which is just a beautiful thing. I love everything that you said. And I, I'm kind of thinking like, oh, I want I want him to talk about this at conference, but <laughs> I can't let everybody talk at conference, but man, it's so tempting. Um, and we do have someone who's going to address people in recovery, getting back to work. So I'm excited about that. But um, at the end of the day, going back to when you made the decision not to do COVID testing because you, you know, you stepped back and you evaluated um, and this goes in line with everything that that has been involved in this conversation with you and Angela this morning. But you guys are really um, strongly, uh, what do I want to say, focused around a, a very good system for making these decisions and for having checks and balances and evaluations and all of that. So it's not like, and and I, I'm talking about this because. I know this is how this happens in our industry a lot. And I've had members, even just this weekend, I had a member emailing me all weekend with questions. And I know this is what's happening, okay? So there's someone in the industry who's thinking about adding um, a particular service. And she's just kind of hanging out through the weekend going, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I? I'll, I'll call Joe. So all weekend I'm dealing with emails. Well, um, can you tell me who else has tried it and what does it look like and what it blah 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 and you know I, I don't know that stuff so I'm just referring her to people but you don't have to call Joe and say should I shouldn't I what other that because you have a system in place for evaluating and for understanding does this fit in line with our mission our vision our values our direction our goals our strategy plan and all of that and I know you can't share the whole thing right now because this is just a limited podcast, but could you just speak a word about the importance of that and, and maybe just 
um, a couple of key points about how that has changed how you operate. Uh, yeah, and um, I, I might first reference a book that we got involved in uh, 2013. And it really changed uh, the trajectory of our business. Mm -hmm. And that book was called Traction. Um, mm -hmm. It's written by an individual uh, named Gino Wickman. And what it promotes is an operating system, the entrepreneurial operating system. And, um, and it really did help facilitate, and, and first it casts a vision, um, mm -hmm. but then it really dives into the fact that um, not unlike a computer, when you, you can't use Apple and Microsoft at the same time, you have to pick the operating system that you use. And then after that, all the pieces start to fit. And mm -hmm. um, often there's books written about um, how to hire great people or have a great culture or measure success or um, set goals or um, you know, process through issues, have great meetings but they all are written independent of one another. And mm -hmm. um, oftentimes they can even compete with each other in various ways. And uh, what this book did really, really well is it put it all together and uh, just made it seem like everything fit. It certainly starts with that vision, but uh, everything else from there, uh, we work very, very hard on. Um, I, I didn't mention, but uh, earlier, as we've grown, um, we had about 15 staff in 2007. Um, at our peak, which pre-COVID, we were at about 150 staff, and um, it's something that we couldn't have done, um, mm -hmm. that kind of growth without a system and without, I, the best I can say it is this, um, yes, I went to school, got my business degree and MBA, but I, I didn't learn how to run a small business. Right. And that's just mm -hmm. a matter of fact. And, mm -hmm. and I wish that weren't the case, but in a very practical sense, um, this book walked us through how to successfully and sustainably um, build a business. And, um, and it was just so helpful. But um, yeah, as we, we grew, it, it, was, it was fortunate that we had that. Mm -hmm. um, Angela came in kind of at a, at tail end uh, of our implementation of that, um, got to experience it. But Angela, mm -hmm. I don't know what you'd add to that part of the story. You know, I think when we go back to the decision making, um, you know, it does bring clarity in some of those decisions when you're faced with um, or you're presented an opportunity, mm -hmm. um, maybe to enter a new market or offer a different service that you never have before. Um, it makes those decisions um, a little easier because you mm -hmm. can just go back to does this align with our core values does this align with our vision does this align with our 10-year goal you know where mm -hmm. we want to be can, can this be something that if it checks those boxes is it going to help get us there or is it just a distraction mm -hmm. which happens more often than not mm -hmm. and um it became it, it becomes very easy um, to set down. And now if the decision is ultimately no, I'm not sure anything helps you um, mm -hmm. overcome that little bit of pain when you ultimately decide, no, this is not the opportunity for us. Mm -hmm. um, but it gives you something very tangible and something that you can look at and say, okay, are, is this checking all of the boxes? Yes or no. Mm -hmm. And it helps you get to that. And you don't waste days or weeks 
trying to get to that answer, um, it can come fairly quickly. Right. I, so yeah. I might uh -huh. mention to that, um, because I think it's very relevant to the kind of year we just had. Mm -hmm. um, when we have a 10-year goal, um, and then we boil that down into a three-year plan and um, ultimately one-year goals and quarterly uh, priorities, all of that is put in place, but the 10-year goal never changed. Um, and it makes a year like COVID or the pandemic just a, a, a year. Um, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't seem nearly as significant to us when we realize it's not going to take us ultimately off of the, the lighthouse, so to speak, off of mm -hmm. the it doesn't move, it stays in place. Now, how we get there changes based on the winds or the tide or whatever it is that influences every decision we make. Mm -hmm. But ultimately that lighthouse stays there. And, um, and and I like that analogy, especially in a year like we had last year where it could help us stay focused and right. not um, get really far off course and ultimately choose a different lighthouse in a sense. Right, right. And and it's not to say that if, if you had chosen um, to add particular services or, or not add them um, would take you off of your path. But for you, that was not the right thing. For others, um, it is, but there, you know, you may have others who are already into medical testing, so it works for them or whatever. But it just gives you, as, as Angela said, um, does it fit? Does it not fit? It, you know, is it within the context of what we do or not? And is it aligning with um, where we're supposed to go and where we're not? And, and, you know, it was a risk for a lot of people to take that on because there's cost and expense and involved that you had to put out during a uh, really a time of leanness and uh, so some some did well with it and, and others did not but I think it all depended on that core um, for sure so I really appreciate you guys taking the time to share that I know that um, when you have presented at conference it's been along the lines of business development and leadership which um, we are right now creating a um, new business mentorship program and uh, we've had so many people come into this industry you know it's interesting um, that 2020 saw this huge massive influx of people new to our industry start up in the business and I think that uh, my philosophy is that many of the larger uh, companies that became very cumbersome and did not have sustainability plans and uh, were already hurting uh, crumbled but these new startups because they were already looking at getting into the industry they had some reserve they knew they weren't going to be profitable for you know probably six months or something um, they're probably many of them will survive that period where a lot of people who've been around for a while have not and did not so um, we have a lot of new blood uh, in the industry and people who are, you know, maybe are coming from backgrounds of phlebotomy or the medical side, you know, different things. So it's really fascinating. I think you will become a mentor, so to speak. I hope you got time for that. Um, <laughs> to to uh, some folks who are, are new because it's so important that, you know, as you both mentioned in talking about the court testing, um, that we have collectors who understand the process and get it right and know what to recommend and et cetera. So I, I don't, 
you know, I do get concerned about people going headlong into a whole area that they know nothing about and then getting these big contracts for courts and even employers um, and not having that experience of making those big recommendations because that's something that, you know, we're relied upon as industry experts. Okay, so. If I, well, can I add one thing there? Yeah, yeah. Um, I've always thought that uh, the barrier to entry in drug testing is, is pretty low. Um, it, there's not a lot of cost. There's not a lot of expense. Um, mm -hmm. There's, it's a service and uh, mm -hmm. service requires clients. Um, it it's, can be challenging as um, anyone who's been in this long understands that test by test, we don't make a lot of money. Right. Um, and, uh, and all of a sudden it's, well, then we need to grow. We need to get bigger to start being able to make a living doing this. Um, the challenge of that is uh, the expertise that some of those larger programs and larger clients require and demand, mm -hmm. and rightfully so. Um, right. and, uh, and that's where I believe the barrier to, to stay or the ability to stay in the industry becomes pretty challenging. Mm -hmm. um, the other trend that I'm seeing, and, and this is through having completed just a few recent acquisitions as well, um, and that's been a real pleasure for us to be involved in and learn about other companies in our industry, but individuals that uh, got in the business in the 90s and early 2000s as a second career, as it seems like so many people do, mm -hmm. um, but they're now reaching that 65, 70 years old um, retirement age type phase. And they're looking for the opportunity or ability to exit. That's um, right. What do I do with this business? And, and I have really enjoyed visiting with others in our industry on that topic and mm -hmm. ultimately um, sharing the same passion and, and history and background um, and, and hearing their stories and um, and aligning where we have in several cases um, and and it's just been a real joy to to, to see the inside of other businesses as well um, mm -hmm. so not just our own and evaluating our own financials and operations but also learning from how others are doing it as well has been a really right. neat experience that that is tremendous and yeah i i i do um, see and hear from a lot of folks who are kind of coming into that retirement phase and want an exit strategy, there can be a fear of, am I going to be able to entrust this life work that's so valuable to someone who cares and is not just going to swallow it up? And so I'm sure there are some grateful hearts there that have found you and, and gotten connected with you. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, um, it, it really is it's it's like a a child or it's a year well it's their clients and it's mm -hmm. a thing that they've worked so hard on and are so mm -hmm. passionate about yeah. doing it right and um it, yeah it, it it is it's uh who who am i going to have take this on that cares as much as i do right about it? and and i'm sure all of us will face that question at some point, some point in yeah. our business's life cycle and um and it is neat to be on that side of it you bet you bet um so do either of you or both of you have any final thoughts that you would like to share with our listening audience 
as we um, end our, our interview today. It's just been a pleasure speaking to both of you. Anything that you want to put out there for either the collectors, the collection sites, the TPAs, the client, the customer, um, final thoughts, final words. Angel, go ahead first. Um, you know, I think um, as, especially as we come off a year um, like we've had and, um, you know, I think everyone is so anxious to see other human beings again. Mm -hmm. um, I think this could really be a year of um, some collaboration. There's a lot of change in our, in our industry and we've been very uh, siloed for, gosh, mm -hmm. almost the last year. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think as we, you know, come together again, whether that be a conference or we start actually having, getting to have meetings, um, I'm just, you know, personally looking forward to um, kind of getting back into being able to collaborate, being able to work with other people in the industry um, or attend things where we can really learn and lean on each other. Um, mm -hmm break out of this silo that we've been in for the last 10 12 months you must be an extrovert like me introverts would never say that <laughs> but i so agree with you and i'm looking forward to our conference in may which is in your backyard we're in st louis and um we're we're right like at a hub of several of your locations so i'm looking forward to seeing a tomo presence there in st louis <laughs> yeah, we're, we're looking forward, in fact, have a meeting coming up with uh, the folks who are putting on the conference. And, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, it, it's, it, it's going to be fun. Um, yeah. And we're, we're looking forward to having a number of our team uh, participate and attend and, mm -hmm. and looking forward to opportunities to potentially host in some unique way as well. Um, the thing that I, I would add uh, to conclude is um, for anyone in the industry, just figuring out who they want to be um, and, and what niche they want to fill in the industry. Um, there's a lot of different options and opportunities and, and distractions, quite honestly, and we've mm -hmm. been down those paths, and, um, but uh, ultimately landed on who we want to be, and, and that's our focus. And, and it, as you said earlier, that doesn't necessarily make it uh, right or wrong for anyone else. It's just for everyone to to figure out who they want to be. Um, I, I would say that um, one thing that I've really appreciated, and we've been a member of SAPA and we've been a member of Dacia um, mm -hmm. for years, and what was so refreshing to me um, was just the uh, perspective that Endesa has had on the, the real difference that our industry gets to make um, and, and, and just from the speakers that you've had at conference and um, the focus that you've had, it, it's bigger than just the how to do a drug test or how to be a, a, a collector um, or a TPA or, or whatever that, it was less regulatory and more passion. Um, and, and I'm just so appreciative of you um, having that focus and, and really helping connect that for all of us. I, I think it makes every day uh, just be a little bit more meaningful. Thank you, Mickey. That means so much to me because that really is, um, it is, you mentioned the word passion. And for me, it's just um, daily, a, a, just a day-to-day -day inspiration um, to, to remember that 
why every single day. And I'm someone that needs that. I technically, you know, I believe in the technical excellency and, and all of that. And, and of course, we're striving to have the best of all of that with our training and certification programs. But if, if you don't get the why of it, none of that matters. And you, if you don't treat, as you mentioned, every one of those donors with dignity and respect, you're missing the boat entirely. So this is definitely a special industry in that way that those two things really have to go hand in hand. But thank you for that. I really appreciate it. And yes, um, I loved your, you know, as a state affiliate saying, how can we get more involved in the conference? I, it kind of blew my mind because it's one of those super simple ideas that just never occurred to me. And I went, why didn't we do that in Florida? Why didn't we do that in Texas the last two years? Um, so we will absolutely, whatever um, you and Kathleen come up with as a roadmap for that, we'll use it in future years as a model because I, I went, that's a no brainer. <laughs> so simple. Um, but I just didn't see the forest for the trees on that one. So Thank you for, for bringing that up. You guys, it's been wonderful to speak with you, to get to know you a little bit, um, to hear all about what Tomo is doing and the difference that you're making in our industry. You are leaders in, in drug and alcohol testing. I want you to know that. I don't know if you see yourselves that way, but um, we have deep appreciation for you and look forward to um, seeing and hearing more from you for many, many years to come. And happy, let's see, is it technically the 20th anniversary of Tomo? I mean, you've been in for longer, but you mentioned 2001. 30th year. Uh, 30 years. Okay, 30 years. All right. Wow. Wow. 30 years. Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. you're, you're now a fully formed adult. <laughs> uh, we still feel like adolescents every day. Yes, I know, right? <laughs> well, um, thank you again and have a great 2021. Thank you, Joe. Uh, Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Indesa Members Memo. Subscribe to hear all of our podcasts and join Indesa to access all of our professional industry resources. Visit us at ndasa.com.